Welcome to the Influence Factory podcast. This program is dedicated to support professionals who have a desire to develop their digital business influence so they can navigate through a fast-paced, constantly growing digital world. We invite newcomers as well as our family of business influencers to a place to play, share ideas, questions, tips, and guidance with other thought leaders around the globe. Sit back and enjoy our program with your host, Dean Delisle, as he interviews guests. News and commentary are provided by Jackson Delisle and Monica Hacker. Power Move lessons are provided by the Influencer Marketing Department at Social Jack. And production, editing, and distribution is provided by the Social Jack production team. All right, this week's influencer guest, Faye Fleming, live from St. Louis, has spent her entire career focused on how to be more successful with less struggle, which we love. Uh, Faye's a managing director at the business performance company that helps companies and career professionals through strategy, research, and really uh, having more success within their business and their lives, which I love. So Faye, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I know. And uh, you know what? It's a tight race. So it's either the Cubs or the Cards, you know, we're going to see how it happens. But whoever wins, I'll, I'll root for them. I'm sure some of the guests might disagree with me here. but <laughs> Well, I will join you in being gracious and do the same thing. Okay, there you go. So, you know, it's mutuality. Oh, there we go. We got Let's Go Cards. There's no Cubs fans on today. Nobody's chiming in. Um, so there you go. So how, how are you doing? I'm great. Having a great morning. It's been a blessed day. I, I haven't uh, seen you since, uh, you know, face-to-face and, and since we had shared that amazing panel in St. Louis at MDMC. And I got to tell you, that was that was cool. I didn't know what to expect. That was my first time being there with that show. And I love St. Louis. It was a good reason to go. But I met so many great people like yourself there. And our session was rocking, man. It was like people sitting on the floor, standing in the hallways. They had to open the doors. And that's when you're like, wow that feels really good. <laughs> I agree with you. And the thing that was really great for me is, is that probably 30 minutes later, I was still talking to people about right. some things that we discussed or a tip that I said. And for me, that's always the meat that someone heard something and took action. Right. Now, um, I've got to ask you, so uh, uh, you learned a joke about a fly and you said 10 years ago and you still find it funny. I have to know what the joke is. Okay. So let me preface this by saying there are only sensitive people who really get this joke and how funny it is, but that in no way deters me from continuing to tell it. So here's a joke. What do you call a fly who has lost his wings? Mm grounded a walk <laughs> see i think that's really funny yeah, that is funny i like yeah my, my family keeps telling me this is why you're the nerd of our family this right. is not funny and please stop saying it but every time i say it i crack up i crack up too <laughs> that's and so i was going to ask you about the dancing the hiking and the parasail but i grew up and I'm a little older than a lot of people that are on this podcast. So my, my dance era was disco. So what's your favorite dance? We're talking about disco. Then we're talking about um, the La Freak. Remember people oh, yeah. were doing the La Freak and you had to have a globe overhead. And oh yeah. I've got, one my, and I've, got one, I've got one that actually hangs in my garage. So that's how funny I am. Okay. That, Kind of scares me a little bit, but um, we'll go ahead. <laughs> but what's your favorite dance? Like a period. Like if you could dance, what's the music or what do you like to dance to? And my very favorite things to do is, um, it used to be salsa, but now I swing out dancing because you do it with a partner and there's 100 different moves that you can do. And so that's what I did when I lived in Dallas is that I would go dance with 400 of my favorite friends and there would be some nights that I would dance six hours straight with the exception of potty breaks. And wow, <laughs> I miss it. Yeah, I really miss that's it. cool. That is super cool. Um, and then I loved your motto in here, be you and the world will adjust. So it's you and I talked a lot about this before the show, but it's like how many people feel like the freedom to just be themselves. And, and then that's, that really is freedom. Once you decide that you're going to be authentic and genuine. Totally agree. And the thing that I think people miss about this is, is that Dean, when I free myself, I also free you because I give you permission by my role model 
to do the exact same thing for you. Right. And the more people we set free, the more people who are woke, as they say, uh, the better off we are because we've got a higher contribution to give. So it's an acquired taste. It took me a while to realize that everybody's not going to like the Faye brand of Kool-Aid, but I'm okay with that. I'm very okay with that because I made a lot of brands of Kool-Aids that, yeah, I wouldn't have lunch with them, but. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's funny. Um, so, uh, so tell us a little bit about Faye's journey to today. So, you know, maybe some, some turns that your life had taken, but how did you wind up like here where you're at right now? Okay, do you want me to start with, I was born, it was a dark night, it was raining? If that's an impact of how you are right now, absolutely. I want to hear about the things that, that have shaped you to this moment. Okay, then I will just give you a litany of some things, seriously, that have really uh, made my brand the brand that I embrace. Because my brand is very intentional. This is not haphazard. I spent 100 years trying to be this. Um, I graduated from high school at 16. I went to college at 16 because I thought I needed to be in a hurry. I thought that, that there was life happening out there and I needed to jump ahead. And what I really found out is that 16, you don't really know a lot. <laughs> You're not very prepared. So right. when people talk that I went to undergrad would talk about, oh, we had this party. You remember when we had that keg and we got drunk and yeah, I, I don't know anything about that because I was 16 trying to come up with that whole year of senior year that I missed all of that background and context. And what that taught me was, is that when you make a decision, it has some pros and cons, and you need to, once you make that decision and move forward, you need to do whatever it takes to mitigate the decision that you made, right? So then you fast forward. Um, I wanted to go into advertising, and from my only exposure was the Bewitch show, because, you know, Darren would get up and he would have all this That's stuff. right. He was he had great ideas and do advertising campaign. That's all I knew about it. And I went to my mother and I said, Mom, I'm going to college. I want to major in advertising. My mother waited two nanoseconds and said, you're going to college and you're going to major in accounting. <laughs> and so in my little 16-year-old head, I'm thinking, did she not hear me? In, in essence, what my mother said was, baby, they will always need someone to count the money. So I said, yes, ma'am. I graduated with an undergrad degree in finance and accounting. And by the third year of being in a Fortune 50 corporation, closing books, I told my husband, I will go to the roof and jump off if I don't get out of this profession. Hey, you have no idea. I literally... I don't say sentenced. I worked at an accounting firm for three years and I was always at the bottom of my class when it came to accounting and it just wasn't the way I was wired. And, uh, but it's funny that uh, you got to that moment because I felt that moment in the law firm that you just talked about. And it was like, I just can't do this anymore. And you know what? I, I wasn't even doing accounting. I should have picked up on the cues because people that I worked with at this fortune corporation kept saying, you work on the 12th floor? But I was raising my hand for, oh, I'll do the United Way campaign. Oh, I, because here's what I realized and the lesson I took from that is, is that start early to own you, right? Yes. And I was getting cues from the universe that I was on a really great bus, absolutely in the wrong seat. And the other thing I learned was, uh, for me, accounting is a historical discipline. So you don't have anything to count until all the action has taken place. I wanted to be on the front end of that in marketing, in PR, in creating the action, and then let the bean counters, of which my, I have siblings who are bean counters, so I say that with love, uh, let them count the beans. I wanted to go out and, you know, dig the ground, till the, till the uh, soil, plant some seeds. How did you know you weren't on the right seat? On the because I was very uh, uncomfortable. And I thought early on that just because you could do something with excellence, that was your cue from the universe to say that's what you should do. And what I learned is, is that you are blessed with lots of talents and skills, but the ones that bring you energy as opposed to take away energy, why would you not incorporate those things in your life? Right. And I think that I was like many people who, and some of whom might be listening to this podcast, where you're 
stuck in some place that you say to yourself, I'm really good at this. I get a lot of money for this and it kills my spirit. I hate to go to work. I hate to do this. So when you find out that you're in a ditch, at least stop digging, get out, just get out. So that's what I did. I went back to school. I got a master's degree in marketing and media and uh, worked my way up to a VP of marketing. And then after that, I really realized that an excellent marketer is really based on your depth of understanding about your audience and who you're marketing to. So then I went back to school to the top two research institutes in the United States and I got uh, training in being a researcher and that then led me to strategy because I don't care how much intel you get with research, if you don't have a cogent, correct strategy that people understand and have embraced, then the research just sits on the shelf. Amen. I love it. I love it. And I think a lot of people don't spend enough time. Um, I think they either overthink the strategy, uh, uh, overcook it, um, or they don't check in on it enough. You agree with that? I do. Yeah. I do. Strategy should be a living document because everything ebbs and flows. The only thing that we know in business that remains constant is no matter what it is, up or down, give it a minute and it will change. Right. So you have to be flexible. You have to, you know, know what your tipping point is in your business. If something happens in this direction, up, oh, that's a tipping point. That means I need to now take this different action. So, yeah. And that's why I love strategy because I get to pull in all the accounting, media, finance, marketing. Yeah, right on. So, so you go into a lot of uh, organizations like we do. What are some of the common things or mistakes that you see them making? Well, a lot of people in corporations, and I've worked in everything from a sole proprietorship all the way up to uh, the top brands in their industry. And a lot of what I see is a complacency with groupthink right? We do it this way because we've always done it this way. And this way must work because see how prosperous we are. And they don't recognize um, how it makes them sluggish, how it marginalizes uh, people's ability to be passionate about the work that they do. And they overburden it and build uh, systemic cultures that are just heavy to walk around in, let alone go to work every day and innovate in. So that's one of the big things I see. Yeah, and I think, um, and I think in that environment, uh, it causes people to get stuck. Like all of a sudden, it's like, um, you know, almost like when I was working at um, the CPA firm, or whatever, I just picked my head up after a couple of years and I'm like, what am I doing here? This doesn't feel like me. I love the people. I love the environment. Um, but I'm in the tech world and I'm like, you know, one of the, one of a couple of tech people that they had there. And I just saw so much more for myself that I felt like I was causing myself to be held back. I didn't blame them at all. It was just like, it was time for me to move on. But I always wonder when I walked through the hallways, I was just at a, in DC at a ginormous uh, fortune 500 company and I'm walking through and I'm just looking up and down the aisles and I'm like, how many of those people are here? Cause they've just always been here. Well, you know what? I give those people grace because until you know better, you can't really do better. Right. Yeah. And for some people, um, they just don't have the resources to imagine that their skills are transferable to something that they right. would be more passionate about. And I understand that because once I built my career early on coming out of college and had two stints of being a corporate accountant, no one could envision that a bean counter would be a good marketing person, right? <laughs> and it took me three months and I said, there is someone who will buy this. I finally had this epiphany. I went to a regional CPA firm and said, you got to hire me. I'm a twofer. And so the guy was like, you're black and female? I said, no, no. <laughs> I'm a twofer because in tax seasons, I can drive revenue. And when we're not busy doing accounting, I can still drive revenue because I can understand your market and I can do content messaging and I can go out and sell this company because I know it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. 
Um, and that was really my first job in marketing that I then transitioned into other marketing gigs. And I was going to, I was going to say, you know, I think of accounting firms and law firms and maybe even insurance and financial services a little the same. It's, it's sort of the, uh, I call it the shingle model. You know, they've got the shingle, uh, they start building the business, they attract all the people from their, their circle of influence or the network that they have. And they don't think about marketing until they get to a certain point. And in most cases, they just tend to add partners, right? So yeah. that's their, that's their scalability model. And that's the hundred year old model. Um, so then in a business like that, what's your approach that, that sort of makes them different or stand out from that old model? Well, it's grounded in the complex philosophy of this. We must dig the well before we need the water. <laughs> right, exactly. Because <laughs> if we wait until market is saturated and now in order to get new clients, we have to steal them from somewhere, someone else, we're, we're already out of the game in yeah, 10 men down, not one man down. So I really focus on people understanding uh, holistically where their brand is and understanding that in the context of where the industry is, where their competitive landscape is, and in terms of where they'd like to go. Sometimes people don't know and they have not sat down and intentionally said, in three years from now, I wanna be here. In five years from now, I wanna be there. They just look and at the end of the year, they've got healthy financial statements and they were able to you know, take that trip to Hawaii. They must be doing really well. Right. So I try to bring them back to the beginning and say, there are a few things you must know about your business. And now that you know them, use that context to make an intelligent choice. Like for example, I was talking to a, um, an entrepreneur um, who's at about 6 million and he's very concrete on in two years from now, he wants to be at 10 million. The struggle for him was, is that he was trying to use old technology to fix a brand new car. And so his dilemma was, this is how I built the business to this level. And now to grow it to the next level of millions, I just don't know how I'm going to get that done because now I have young children and if I work 80 hours a week, I'm going to miss their childhood. And he was just, you know, gnashing his teeth. And so I listened and said, okay, let's start off with where you are now. Let's get clear about where that is. Where do you want to go? And let's first just have a conversation about there might be a different way to get to that. Right. Are you open to the thought of the way you got here? What you did to get you here will not get you there. And it was like a huge epiphany. And after that, he was then open to, oh, we could do it this way. I said, what about this? We could just do an acquisition. Let's just go buy a company. Right. Thinking so, outside the box. Thinking outside the box. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think outside the box and around the circle. <laughs> well, so so let's go way outside the box. So okay. um, so with our accountants and attorneys and financial advisors, etc., it has always been, uh, you know, and I've been involved in social media forever, and uh, also dealing with a lot of we call business advisors. You and I are business advisors, and so yeah. are they. Although it's easier for us to find those social bones and to be outward thinking and to uh, be okay with putting our brand out there. But in many cases, you walk into an accounting firm, it's tough to find those people that are willing to really be the influencers we'd love them to be from a digital perspective. So what's your, what's your approach with, with those folks? Well, what I found to be very effective is pain. <laughs> when they arrive at an intersection and they don't know how to cross the street, right? right? And at that point, based upon how fast those cars are coming and they got to cross the street, then they're then willing to have some epiphanies about, we're going to have to do something different and I'm going to have to play an active role in that. Right. And once we carve out what that role might be, then I begin to look at their level of competency, uh, cultural fit, in uh, comfort. How comfortable are they? Right. And out of that, we then carve out something that they can do. And it might be something that needs to be spread uh, across two partners. Right? Makes sense. Yeah. But the key thing is, is to get them to believe it is now time to change. Not in the future, 
now where it appears that we're doing well. And in that change, you guys can no longer ignore social media. You guys can no longer ignore the fact that you have to be relatable, that you have to have some type of relationship, online, offline, but that you have to be authentic and a person that people feel for some reason they could resonate to. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of what they're selling is wah, wah, wah. You know, you can get your, you can get your taxes done here or you can get yep. your taxes done over there. <laughs> right. The differential is, is that if I come to Dean's firm to get my taxes done, they will also give me some advice about how to fit this into my life where I struggle less and I increase my success. Or I just simply trust Dean because in the past he's done good by me or he's given, you know, uh, my partner some really great advice. So it's those nuances and touch points that are soft that people have to really stand out and create some substantial difference between themselves and their competitors that is sustainable. Because everybody can do a big splash in the short run, right? But we need sustainable significance to push us forward. Absolutely. And and I, you know, as you were saying that, I'm just thinking about all the folks that, you know, I had uh, just one recently and, and all of a sudden it's like, uh, well, I've had your stuff sitting on my desktop for two years and now I'm ready, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. you know? There's some pain. There yeah, some there's some pain, right? So, you know, maybe there's a dip in sales or the market, you know, there's things that are out of their control also that they can't, you know, control, like their competitors are now being a little more visible than they are. And you know what? They never realize that it's not just the hard numbers of how much more market share we can eat, how much, how much more could we have grown sales or the profit, uh, what could have been added to the profit margin. It's also about the opportunity cost. Had you cleaned this up and streamlined it or brought out that new product or merged and did a smart acquisition for vertical uh, growth, look at all the other stuff you could have done as well as continue to grow all of this. And plus who wants to be, you know, 75 years old out here trying to build a business or to sustain one. Well, that's like a middle age now, isn't it? Because we're living. It is because I'll probably be 73 working. (laughs) But Hopefully Dean, it will be, be because I feel like I still have something to contribute. Yes. And I will not be an accountant. My mother can no longer make me do accounting. So, Amen. And trust me, I will not be an accountant with you. <laughs> um, one of the things that you had uh, mentioned, uh, and it stuck with me because I, I love this uh, powerful part about what we all can be, is you said authentic- authenticity and manners take you places that influence and money can't. Um, dig into a little bit of that for me. I, I love that phrase. Well, Authenticity rules, and here's why, is because research continues to show that people do business with those people who they feel like are like-minded, that we have the same values, and are consistent. So authenticity, being real, being genuine for a lot of people is a leap if they believe that in order to survive in this culture, I have to be a certain way, or If all of the people in this organization look, act, dress, behave a certain way, many people are put off because they feel like, well, I can't, I can't do me and do them. And in order to stay here and, you know, get promoted, then obviously I have to do them. But the most freeing thing you can do is to do yourself. Do you and the world will adjust. Yeah. And the reason that you want to do you is that's what you're good at. And the things that you're good at, you more than likely will be successful at. And the more, and this is one thing I know for sure, the more success you create, the more success you will have, right? So be authentic and be who you are no matter where you are. If people see me at church, if people see me at a club swing out dancing, if people see me in the park, the grocery store, pretty much this is what they're going to get. Yeah. And the benny of that is, is that when you get into business and we're talking about negotiations and things like that, what that then means, Dean, is that you're perceived to be trustworthy because you're consistent. 
So, Jane, if you suck, go to work. Suck every day. (laughs) (laughs) They'll know when to call upon you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, man, that's awesome. And then, um, you know, one thing we talked about early on, we tapped into it a little bit, but I always think about, you know, once we get the people to show up and and be, um, you know, be consistent, be authentic, be genuine, um, so what does that look like within the culture? And is that, you know, what, when, from your experience, is that disruptive? Do you start from the top down? You know, how do you actually work that, you know, with the people and the culture together? So when you go into an organization and you see, wow, we've got to change this. And it takes a long time to change a culture. Do you typically go right to the top? Do you take a pilot group and go, let's, let's try to work this here? What, what do you see that works best? Um, what I do is I go into an organization and I facilitate them in being clear about why I got called into this organization, uh, right? Because I found it more, I mean, you know, we know this. We know this from being veterans that people support those things that they commit to and they help build, right? So I don't go in with a lot of telling, although as a consultant, we know that employees get paid to show up. Consultants get paid to fix something. Right, exactly. But I go in and I facilitate them to a higher state of awareness, right? And so once we can all sing Kumbaya on what the big issue is and uh, where our pain points are and what our desires are and where we are now and where we need to be, then I begin to help them weed through what in our culture helps us to do that and what in our culture is really not just a barrier, but, you know, it's a loaded grenade if anybody attempts to do anything differently. Right. It's more helpful when you can start at the C-suite and come down as opposed to start mid, mid-cap inside the organization and try to go up. Yeah. Um, but that's where I start, and that's what I found to be uh, more effective. And sometimes, Dean, people just have to die. I mean, you know, they've been in the culture for so long and they're a great cheerleader. Uh, if there was something better out there, we would have already thought of it. So this is our way. I've consulted with a fortune corporation who prides himself on saying, this is the XYZ way. <laughs> and so they don't really care how much that costs them. That doesn't re- they don't really care about how many bright, innovative people that they push out. They don't really care. What is a higher value for them is maintaining their group think, their status quo, their way of life and culture inside the organization. Uh, and until they get so much pain and lose so much market share, they're going to continue along that pathway. So. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's interesting to say, see so many um, big companies falling. I had, I had to reflect today, and it's like. Um, as of you know, the end of the month, there will be one Kmart left in Illinois. And I was like, wow, I didn't know there was any Kmarts left. And Sears used to be a big client of ours about 20 years ago. And it's just interesting how you see older organizations that really try to work their old mantra to death and they don't make the shift, you know? Think about this, Dean. There are now people on the planet who have no idea what we mean when we say, it's a blue light special. (laughs) Right? More importantly, they don't care. They don't care. Because they're not even going on site to retail. They're hitting Amazon, it'll be dropped the next day. Yeah, I know. What do you think about that? You know, that's that's sort of a whole shift in our society, the convenience model, if you will. you know, uh, I walk past or I drive past for sure. And I've walked past, uh, you know, the Amazon Go stores, I think they're called, called where you basically you can just just walk in with your phone and walk out with stuff and magically it charges you. Um, so uh, so what do you think about all this technology? You think it's it's taken us too, too apart from being with each other? Well, what I know from doing the research is this, is that we are, the more uh, global the world becomes, the more tribal we act. And the reason for that is, is that things are coming at us so quickly now that we're bombarded with messages, right? You know, if somebody has a fender bender in Bangladesh, I could, it could hit my cell phone two right. minutes after it happened. So that's, that's a lot, that's a lot. And I think 
that if you look at business, what's happening along customer lines and relationship, there are some touch points that you could have put on your map when you were mapping out your customer experience that no longer, they no longer exist. Who could have thought 20 years ago that you could ever make a deposit into your bank account without going and talking to a teller? I know, that's crazy, huh? And now there are so many things in the way that we do business, the way that we do commerce. I remember having meetings and people would fly in from all across the country. But now there are people who have worked with people in foreign countries for 20 years that they will never, ever meet. Right. Now, I think the upside of that is, is that for savvy uh, entrepreneurs and businesses who are willing to pivot and to be reactive to not what the market is, but what the market could be, is that they see it as a gap to give people some touch points. And I think that's why social media is where it is today, because I have a sense of a relationship with you. I see you. I talk to you. I can instant message you. Because I, I could go my whole workday, especially if I work from home, and not interact with an, another person. Right. So, if, for example, if you look at gyms, it used to be in years past that it was about building muscle, and this is a real gym. And now you go into uh, gyms like um, the fitness gyms that are coming on now, and it's their colors are purple and gold, and there's all this soft messaging about this is a zone of no judgment and they have group classes and Planet Fitness is booming. Yeah. And it's the old head gyms that are fading out because people were created to be in a relationship and so they're seeking some connection. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think that every business model uh, should include someone um, taking a look at that trend. Yeah, I like that. <clears throat> like where are we not connecting or how can we connect better from that perspective? Sorry about that. I was losing uh, battery power. <laughs> yeah. And just think about that. Uh, even if it's something low scale, that's common, let's go with a dry cleaner, right? Yeah. It'd be a time when everybody walked their dry cleaning in and then, you know, it used to be a drive through. Now you can either walk your clothes in, which no one does, drive, drive through the dry cleaner, or you can just, while you're shopping, you pick up a, some eggs, you drop off your dry cleaners. You have no touch point with that dry cleaner. I know. We know app. what dry cleaner. We have an app right here that's about loving your life. And basically it's like I could get a, I can order my massage, I can buy some stuff and I can have my dry cleaning picked up. But right. I, when I have the massage, though, there is a person there. So. <laughs> okay, that makes me feel a whole lot better about you, Dave. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh man, every time every time I talk with you, it's like time flies. I think I was talking to you after the session, and I was late for another session. But it's always a delight. So, um, so, so in this, um, tell us a little bit about some of the people that were an inspiration or an impact to you, and to, as as you're furthering your career and developing yourself. Tell us a little bit about the people, and maybe they're still connected and involved with you. Uh, so some critical people along my pathway. I got to my senior year in college. There was an illness in my family. I had to drop out. Uh, I just couldn't afford it. And because I was already, already working on the weekends and then driving back to college to help my family, and something else happened. And I remember as I had, you know, turned in my keys at, at, at my dorm room and all of this stuff, I said, the dean of the business school has always taken a personal interest in me. It is just respectful. It is the thing to do. I'm going to call him and tell him I'm leaving. And so I walked into the dean's office and I said, you know, dean, uh, I really appreciate all the investment, blah, blah. I got to go. And so he said, well, do you have a few minutes? And I'm thinking to myself, did you just hear me say I have to lose leave school. I have a whole lot of minutes. I have nothing left to do now, right? And so in 10 minutes, this man made four calls that changed my life. Because the first thing he did was to call housing and say, I have a student in need. I know we have funds for this. And they got me back in housing. He then called the cafeteria and said, hey, I have a student. We need, you know, a food pass for her. And then the next call he made was uh, to get me a work-study job on campus. So in 10 minutes, in 10 minutes, this man changed my life. And the thing he said to me was this. He said, 
I want you to get from this because I was like in tears saying, oh, Dean, so, thank you so much. And he said, no, here is the point. Power is only powerful when you use it. Yes. So with that, I got my undergrad degree. I'm in college. Uh, I get married. I have three kids. I'm going to school at night, getting my undergrad. And uh, one of my uh, instructors was a practitioner. So he, he did media during the day and then he taught at night. And one thing he said to me was, um, you will only be as smart as your affinity for and passion for your customer. And I, I, I took that with me and I used it to drive my marketing career from a manager to a VP of marketing and PR. And then I had a CEO who her whole thing was perform. I don't care if you have three kids, I don't care what you're doing, you need to perform. <laughs> And what that taught me was, is that, you know, the C-suite has a different ecosystem that they work in and different air that they breathe. And it made me have a deep understanding of how to work with C-level people and how to understand business from their perspective. And I've carried that into the work that I do for businesses. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I don't know if you realize, but at Social Jack, we have a tagline. It's all about who you know. Oh, can I can I talk to that? Can I speak to yeah, that? Please. Okay, I didn't know that, but I want that on my pair of glasses. If you <laughs> it's right on there. It's a little hard to read, but it's right there on the pair of glasses. Okay, so here's some snippet. Oh, thank you. All right. Uh, so here's a snippet uh, that I want to make sure that our audience hears, and that is a couple of things. Number one, your brand is not about what you say. Your brand is about what you show. Okay, so you can talk about your brand, you can be in every uh, social channel, you can be at every event, you can have other people promote you and talk about your brand, but it is not what you say, it is what you show and how you treat people and whether or not uh, you are diligent in what you say you're gonna do, whether or not you're a follow through kind of person. All of those key experiences, that's what people remember. I've done millions of focus groups and online surveys, and what people remember is not what you say, is how you made them feel. And that's what they yes. hang on to. That's social, social and emotional intelligence 101. Yes, it is. Thank you. <laughs> Other thing that goes with your motto is, is that people think it's about who you know. And if you believe that, then your whole if that's your knowingness, then your whole doing this is about, I got to know more people. I got to know more people. More people need to know me. Well, that's first level thinking. Second level thinking is this. It's not about who you know. It's about who knows you. And based upon what they know about you, what do they believe? And based upon what they believe, what are they willing to do for you? Right. One of the largest contracts my company has ever had, almost a $400,000 contract came not as a result of any promotion or anything that I did. It came as a result of a person inside that corporation three years earlier had saw me do some work and some research and strategy for a really small project, but you know, I was killing it. I was all about what else can we do? What else can we think? How else can we connect this insight? And three years later, the woman was sitting around someone's corporate table and said, you know what, we ought to call Faith Fleming. It was the biggest contract my company has gotten to date. Well, and what's interesting about that is we have a whole um, methodology uh, that's, that's a big part of my book is um, spending time to invest in knowing the right people first will get you to that audience that will eventually know you. And those people, you know, if you, you know, it's almost like the net giver concept, if you will, you still have to put your time in like you did with the dean of the school. You were fully invested. He was, he was all about helping you, whether you asked for it or not. He showed up. And you know what, Dean? I went back to my undergrad college 15 years later, looked everywhere to find Dean Weber. And when I walked into his office with this huge smile on my face and said, Dean Weber, I just wanted to let you know that investment you made, I have my own company, I have 10 employees, blah, blah, blah. And the dean looked at me and said, okay. And it hit me, he didn't even remember me. Really? Yeah, so what I learned from that is, do what you can do while you're in the seat, right? Yeah. And it's not about 
his legacy going out in terms of him being able to self-promote, it was at that point in time on that day, at that hour, he gave me 10 minutes that then ballooned into some great stuff that happened later on. But that 10 minutes was so insignificant to him, he didn't even know who I was. But I walked away saying, I need to be careful about how I'm spending my 10 minutes with people. Right on, yeah. And what's interesting about that um, is that now, we don't let people get comfortable with their team that they form. So, you know, as we talk about social teaming and um, the people that we choose to, to put as part of our lives and part of our professional team, we don't, we tell them that's not your final team. This is your starting team. Right. And, and what's interesting is, you know, look at the St. Louis Cardinals, all of a sudden they had their whole team back. They were healthy. They brought in some new people, got rid of some other people. Next thing you know, boom, they're dominating, you know, the, the central division. And so it works in sports and it also works in life. So it's pretty cool. I think so. I think um, when you get to the realization that people are putting your life for a season, and you maximize what you can do with them and how you can contribute to them. You know, I try to love my people in real time. And then when they're no longer, uh, we're no longer walking the same path, I try right. to lovingly release them back into the world. <laughs> we, we, we say we send them down to the farm team until they get better. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll, I'll accept that. Because, you know, people change. They go through phases. It's not always their fault. They don't know how to control it. But Well, I think people operate at the level of capacity that, that they know, right? Yeah. You know, when I graduated from and started my professional career, Dean, they said, get out there and network. And networking is all about you got to do the numbers. You got to, you know, kiss the baby, shake the hand. And it was not until I really needed to move my uh, business and my personal brand as a business owner to the next level that I had this epiphany about it's not about networking it's about net weaving so rather than to go someplace and focus on how many people did I shake hands with now I flipped the script on that and said what I really want to do is to weave my affiliation in with someone else where we both get a win-win Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, listen, as I expected, I learned so much from you and uh, I can't wait. I'm going to go back and read the show notes and listen to this again. Um, so I, I want to invite uh, the listeners that are live with us and even those that'll be listening to the podcast. Um, what is a one takeaway that you can apply in life? And sometimes these are things that we know that we're reminded of when we hear them again. Uh, Faye and I talked before the show, I said, oh my gosh, you know, I've got people that are, you know, reflecting back to me what I'm teaching. And I'm like, wait a minute, I used to do that. And it's part of my core curriculum, but I don't do it anymore. So sometimes it's about being reminded that there's important things for us to do or ways to be that can really change ourselves, our lives, those around us and our entire world. And so I think, Faye, you've you've really shared some of that. So I'd love uh, the people that are listening to just, you know, punch in, what did you resonate with the most? And then we'll, uh, we'll invite Jackson back on to see what he took out of this as he's listening intently in the background. But uh, Jackson, what did you most uh, resonate from Faye? Yeah. I mean, there was just like so much and <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm back here producing, so I don't listen fully, but I, I just, you know, I, I liked that story uh, about what she said uh, when she was relating how it's not always all about who you know, but who knows you. And yeah, sure, for the time being, who you know works. But I mean, if they, that person doesn't remember you, because like, I've definitely been in that situation. I mean, I've also been in the other situation where I'm like, God, I hope this person doesn't remember me. And then they, they're like, oh my God, look at you. And then it's like, oh, this is a complete flip from the last time I was with this person. But but I, I do think that, you know, uh, you know, people knowing you getting that name out. I mean, that's all that, you know, Faye does is the personal branding, getting people to know you, recognize you. That's like that. I, I was reading up on her before we, uh, you know, had her on and, you know, personal branding, everything. And it's like every time I hear the name Faye, I'm going to think of Faye because of how great, you know, I mean, it's just, it's that branding presence. I was giving a talk the other day and someone was like, isn't a logo enough? And I was like, no, 
<laughs> no, not at all. Why? Why? Uh, because uh, there's, you know, like like Sprite. Like I'm not that big of a fan of Sprite, but LeBron started drinking Sprite, so I started drinking Sprite. Like it's that person, it's that thing that makes you think of that brand, you know? And I, I think that's really cool, and I think that's a lot of thing. Uh, that's uh, a big thing that a lot of people forget is what makes you memorable from other people. You know what really, and you know why aren't you highlighting that more? Is that yeah. that thing that sets you apart from everyone else is? And I think that's the biggest thing that anyone can do is just highlight what makes them so unique that they need to be either working with you or a part of this conference, speaking at this conference, things like that. So I think that was yeah. the biggest takeaway. And that's, you know, and my thought process. Yeah. As you were saying that, I'm thinking like they're attracted to help you. Yeah. Regardless. And so yeah. Uh, people are typing in, be you and the world will adjust. Uh, a lot of people resonated with that. Your brand is not what you say, it's what you do. Um, that's another big one. Um, and then uh, helping, you know, people get to where they want to get and, uh, you know, and helping them be successful and they will, um, they will uh, always be indebted and, and want to help you as well. So it's almost like, you know, it, it works with personal branding and it's, it ties in the net giver and everybody helping each other out and us creating a better space for each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I agree with that. Uh, and like uh, what they were saying was, uh, well, like what Faye had said, you know, be you and the world will adjust also goes hand in hand with branding because you can't be someone else. That person's already taken. That's don't, already taken. You got to be, be you. Fake. Don't be fake because it'll get exposed at some point in your lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I was actually just watching something where uh, they, they were breaking down why people feel that Jimmy Fallon is fake. You know what I mean? Because in Jimmy Fallon, you know, you don't think about that. But like once you start looking at it and how easily he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then it's like he cuts, you know, and it's it's immediately he can turn it on, shut it off. And I think that's just the actor in him. You know what I mean? I've heard, you know, phenomenal stories about him being a great person. But I mean, that that aspect of it make people feel like there's something not right, you know? Yeah. And it's like, even a star with that, you know, that amount of influence, you know, that he's, you know, talking every, how many people tune in every night and watch the Jimmy Fallon or watch the reruns. And it's just, it's cr crazy to think that even someone with that is like, some people are like, mm, something about this guy, you know? So I think there's a big thing about being authentic and being you and, you know, making the world adjust to that or not making it, but letting it, allowing it to. So I think that's great. So, so before we run out of time, can I give the audience a gift? Go for it. Okay. Part of my personal brand is uh, I'm known for giving lanyap and lanyap. If you don't know the word is giving people a little bit extra, right? So it's like you pay for 12 donuts, you get 13. So very quickly, I have four little gifts that I want to give people. The first one is this. Uh, it's always easier and smarter to increase the light than to fight the darkness. So you be you, you shine your life, you have value, you do what you do. The rest of the people will either catch up or they need it to be left behind. Uh, act like you mean what you say, right? You should be the first person to own your own brand and act like you mean what you say. Back to Jimmy Fallon, he's acting, he's saying things, but perhaps what he says and how he behaves are incongruent, right? And then people go, wait a minute, he said this, but he did this. Yeah. Like that whole thing when they talk about women and dating, have some standards and stick to them yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing, repetition is king. Whatever you, you focus on and you do day in and day out, you repeat it, it's it's how you get to be a superstar and whatever. It's right. the story of Bill Gates. It's the story of basketball, football player. Repetition is king. And with that, be very intentional about what you choose to repeat. Amen. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank yeah. you so much, Faye. And, um, and we appreciate having you on. And Jackson, do we have a couple winners from today? Yeah, we do. For Zoom, we have Kimberly Wooldridge and... Uh, uh, for Facebook Live, we have John Fons. Oh, wow. Are they both St. Louis people? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
doesn't matter. We're all here in this together. Well, I do know Kim. She's a superstar in and out of her own. You know, she's like a Nova getting ready to explode. So thank you. Yeah. Now, here's our rule, people, is that um, whoever you meet today that you care about um, and you learn something new, like what you just shared with us, we want you to share that with those people and, um, and mention Faye and, and what you learned from her today. And then, uh, and, and then for those of you that have the Starbucks card, really, you know, take that time. This is a special meeting for you to share what you learned, pass it on, and really have an open, authentic, genuine discussion about some of the things that you picked up today. So uh, as long as you agree to do that, we're sending gift cards your way and have those lattes or frappes or whatever it is you love. But also more important, please share and help those around you be better each and every day. So Faye, from the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank you. It was a delight having you on the show. And uh, as always, uh, we'll have you back again. And I can't wait to see you either in St. Louis or when you get here to Chicago. We'll definitely see each other before the year is up. So. Well, thank you for the invitation. And more importantly, thank you for in a uh, conference full of peacocks and divas being your authentic self, because that's what made me resonate to you. Oh, right. thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right, folks. Well, until the next episode, uh, we will see you on that. And then uh, in the meantime, we'll see you being genuine and authentic online. So see you there. Thank you for listening to the Influence Factory podcast. We welcome feedback and suggestions. You can provide these by visiting our website at www.myinfluencefactory.com. And if you are interested in Social Jack's 90 Days to Influence program, you can simply go to 90daystobusinessinfluence.com and simply ask for the next steps. While our program airs regularly on Zoom webcasts and Facebook Live on Wednesdays at noon central, we invite you to download episodes on your favorite channel, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spreaker, SoundCloud, and who knows where else in the future. We will also provide occasional on-location live streams with special guests that we will announce in our community Facebook group. Business Influencer Alliance, as well as on all Social Jack channels. Our mission is to help you build your digital business influence with this podcast, as well as inspire, educate, and entertain those who are hungry to collaborate in a cool place with cool business professionals just like you. Mm-hmm.